Welcome to the Business Done Differently podcast, where we believe whatever's normal, do the exact opposite, and that standing out is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Jesse Cole, and it's showtime. All right, today we welcome back Bob Glazer, the CEO of Acceleration Partners, named one of the best places to work. He was a top episode, episode 165, and if anyone's primed to handle the virus and the craziest night right now, it is you, my friend, and just wanted to <laughs> check in, see what you're doing differently. I, I've seen one of your posts, you said you called this wartime, and yeah. I want to see how you guys have evolved and what you're doing differently. Sure. Uh, hey, hope, I, thinking about you, hope you guys are doing doing well. I know this direct, hits you pretty directly, but look, you you still got the same outfit on, still in the same scene, so... Keep, keep keeping it keeping it going. Yeah, it's been it's been a crazy time. Look, we had a couple of things uh, work in our favor. Um, probably just more out of luck. I mean, we're we were already set up fully for remote work with all the security and protocol. More more not just even the training and systems around it. A lot of people have been forced into it, and they just don't you know they don't know how to do onboarding. They don't know how the other stuff. So we were fortunate in that in that respect. And also, we work in sort of online marketing, helping to connect supply and demand in a, on a partnership on an approach performance basis. And, you know, right now when people still want to grow, but budgets are slashed, that model is fairly, you know, attractive. But look, we're not immune. We've got partners in the travel space and other spaces whose businesses have come to a halt. We have other people who are doing great, but they're out of product. Um, So, you know, it's been crazy and chaotic. And like, yeah, it's the last month has at least felt like five years. Well, why don't we start like, because you've become an expert at working remotely. Everyone's still figuring it out. You know, we're doing our daily lunch calls and hours and trying to have fun with our group in a different way. What have you been advising to companies that are getting into really be able to connect while people are working remotely? Yeah, I've been asked to do some webinar. We wrote, wrote an article. First, you know, a lot of the reason why our people chose work from home work was they had families or kids and they wanted that flexibility. So no one was prepared to work from home with a one and a three-year-old, you know, <laughs> hanging off of them. So that that is... That is really different. I, I mean, you, I, I feel really bad. You can see just the ages of people's kids, a big difference. I mean, mine are all over 10 and uh, they, they're much more self-entertained. Uh, my sister's got an 18-month-old and she's just can't, you know, he can't even watch a movie. I mean, he just doesn't sit still. Uh, yeah. So that's tough. Uh, the, the three main things that, that we've been advising, um, you know, most people on. First is like, keep a schedule, you know, it's tempted to just, you just, but put all that stuff in your calendar, you know, schedule meetings, schedule break time, because the environment's not going to change at all. It's actually important to put those changes in. Like, this is when I'm going outside. This is when I'm going to eat, you know, otherwise we say make everything video too. So even if it's like a five minute chat with someone like use video as the default so that you can, uh, you can see their face, you can understand the reaction. The one positive change that this has made for us is a lot of our clients over the years have just, we're on video, but they're not, or they want to call in and they're uncomfortable. Like it's getting everyone over 40, like pretty much like, you know, comfortable with video. So, so we gotta say use video as a default, like for five minute calls, keep a real schedule and then create some actual distance between your physical workspace and, and, and your home. Mm. Uh, it, I think it's really important. People struggle with the boundaries. So, you know, if it's an office, great, do your work in there. Don't take the computer out, make it clear to your family, you know, that, if, you know, or people that are with you, like when you're in there, it's work time. When you're, when you're out there, it's, it, it's not. And if look, if you're in an apartment in New York city and it's a card table in the corner of the room, that's still sort of the work space. And, and with that, 
I think a lot of people need the virtual drive to and from work. You need, you need to sort of decompress, you know, at, at, I, I struggle with this normally. If I shift from a, you know, six o'clock podcast right to dinner without like five seconds to, 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 to break yeah. down it's hard. So, you know, we all just keep, we grab the dog, take him for, take him for a walk and, and, and have that time. I really would encourage people not to bring the technology into their bedroom. Like you, you people say they will work more if they don't create that, that separation. See, we try to do all of us walks after each call. So if we can go for a walk and you know, unfortunately I'm the only one working at the stadium. So I go walk around the field, but everyone else a walk to really separate it has been very, very helpful. Um, yeah. I got a question in regards to culture. Like obviously you've been known to have a great culture. It's different when you're apart. What are some of the practices, things that you're doing to build that um, really close knit culture where everyone knows they're there for each other. Yeah. I I mean, we reinforce our values a lot. You know, we reinforce our vision and where we're going and there's just a ton of communication. So, so the values are really what drive it in terms of these are the behaviors, you know, our core values, we only have three uh, own it, embrace relationships and excel and improve. Everyone should be able to say them as fast as I said them without, you know, looking down at some uh, index card or some (laughs) rubric, uh, so, so we talk about those all the time. That's how we want people to behave. And, and we sort of try to reinforce that. So I, to me, a great culture actually has a clear vision. It has real values and it has goals and targets that it's trying to achieve in service of the vision, but it's meeting those by being true to the values. So, so that's the sort of core three. And then I think I would say it's modified by consistency and clarity. I think great cultures have consistent vision, consistent targets, consistent values, and they have clear vision, clear targets, you know, clear values. It's the ambiguity that really causes a lot of things. So, I mean, I say this a lot, and actually our team just crunched the data. You know, we, in some of our client service roles, we took about 1.7% of the people that applied would end up, you know, w- with the job. We are a great culture for a specific type of person that we've spent a lot of time trying to figure out who works well in that. It's kind of like colleges, right? There's there's big, there's little, there's liberal arts, there's city, they're specialized. Like they're not all the right fit for the right person. You, you go around, you take a tour, you try to figure out which one you'll like. We think we're a great culture for people who share belief in remote work, our values, want to be in client service, certain things. That does not mean it's right for, for, for everyone. Well, the last time we hired full time, we did a, uh, we did an ad that said, do not apply for this job and listed all yeah. the why you shouldn't work for us. And then we interviewed everyone on our staff and say, who should not work for our company? And so we had all them saying all these things. So it was going the opposite, just like you, you'd be very, yeah. and I, I love that. So, um, but in regards to like, we talk about where we're going, the vision. Well, wow, this is very interesting to me, like the vision. Everyone has a plan. Sometimes they don't share it as much, but at wartime, as you say, it sometimes changes. It's more of a short yeah. term. Days feel like weeks, weeks feel like months, et cetera. At least. <laughs> yeah, I, I literally feel like it's been a year since this all started. Yeah. What, how has the vision changed? And I've heard Pat Lanzioni talk about this, a rallying cry, and we shared that with our people, where we're going now. Has yeah. your vision at all changed or how you've communicated it? So it is interesting because I am used to living in the long-term world and really thinking about all of our decisions from a long-term perspective and you know, not being short-sighted. I've had to completely inverse that. You know, for a lot of businesses, if they can't figure out the 90 days, there might not be, you know, a, a long term. So we've we've just totally reoriented ourselves around the 90. I mean, there's just different needs. There's marketing. Almost everything can't be business as usual because it would just be tone deaf. It wouldn't it wouldn't work. So 
we're very short-term focused these days, but, but, but the balance on that is how do we feel about, it doesn't deviate from our core values. How do we feel about this in the long run or when we come out of it, or are there any of these decisions? Like we just had a, you know, discussion with our team this morning where a brand who's, you know, got some real fundamental, you know, can they pay us in like 180 days? And, mm-hmm. you know, how do we handle that? They've been a really good partner. We actually think there's a huge opportunity coming out of that, right? So we could take a two short-term approach with that. And, um, you know, that's the, that's, that's the balance that we're, that we're trying to, 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 to manage. But it, it requires adjusting to a speed that most of us have never managed for and therefore requires a lot of communication. I mean, I, I, the one thing, you know, if you've heard feedback from team members, and I'm not sure everyone really acclimated to what was going on in the world early on or realized how severe it was. I think yeah. they were kind of a little uh, maybe in a bubble, you know, around that. Um, but saying, hey, well, we told us X two weeks ago and now we're hearing this, you know, two weeks later and we're like, it's like two years. Like, I, I mean, that's the one thing we've been really honest and direct with people around what we know, what we don't know, what we're dealing with, and that, you know, here's what we know as of today, but like something could come at us tomorrow that totally changes this. So what was interesting was early in this process, um, we were very honest with people about what we thought the severity and the impact and the depth of this was and, and that people should like buckle up. And I think it was a little traumatizing to our employees because we were being really honest with them. We were talking about you know, what, what we were looking at with the tools on the table, depending on how bad, I mean, no one knew whether 50% of their clients were going to leave in a week. Or, I mean, you really, if you think back to three weeks ago, like the knife was falling. I don't think anyone, you know, really knew that. Um, and, and then what happened was their spouses, partners, friends all started to get laid off, furloughed, blindsided. They hadn't heard anything. And we got a lot of feedback from people afterwards. They're like, you know, first it was like, why are you torturing me with all this reality? And then, and then we started hearing from people that they actually appreciated that and now they understood it. And, and you know, the, their partner, they just, you know, no notice, no communication, like totally blindsided. So, I, you know, I feel it's it, it I, I feel better with that approach. It sort of follows this Stockdale paradox of, look, we're going to get through this. It's going to be like it's going to be the defining moment of our company. There is a future. However, it's not going to be pretty. And here are the ugly yeah. realities that we all have to deal with. It was really tough. The, the call that I had, I had to share them the financial situation that we were in. And, you know, yeah. we committed to not letting anyone go. And it's hard. I go, guys, we only have a little bit of a runway. Here's where we yeah. are. There's no games right now. There's no revenue. And it was tough. But I, I feel sometimes sharing that, not only the transparency, it's the best thing to do. And the clarity sometimes isn't clarity of exactly what's going to happen. It's the clarity that we don't know, but we're going to keep talking to you. And I'm sure that's, that's yeah. the communication that, I mean, you guys right. talk- and you're saying, guys, I, I need, look, there may be some things that I have to do in the short term that aren't pleasant, but like, I need a job for you to come back to. Right. I mean, yeah. I, I think where, where a bunch of leaders are going to struggle during this is, is, is I, you need a rubric there. As I, I said this to my team, all the easy decisions are gone. Those are all like pre-February, like things that seemed easy in the old world. Every decision now is actually pretty difficult. It's hard or really hard. And I think if you look at where the countries are, if you don't make hard decisions, now soon you only have really hard decisions. So deciding, you know, these doctors in a hospital in Italy deciding who gets a ventilator, like if you can't, if you don't have a rubric, if you don't have, of course, set of values to decide who gets a ventilator and you wait and both people don't get it, like that's not a great outcome. So I, I, we actually came out with a core set of five principles, you know, during this crisis, and they were hierarchical. And we shared them with people. And we said, look, this is 
this is our sort of operating rubric and it goes in order. So if we have to choose, you know, it's always one over two or two over three or three over, but this is, you can apply any test decision that we make to this rubric and this is how we're going to hold ourselves accountable. I love it. So for us, we always kept it simple. Is it fans first? But you're right. Sometimes that can get more complicated. So you need to have a little bit more details. Quickly, you right, make- like right, like right now, you, you might like fans first could bankrupt the company, right? And, yeah, fans and- first is refunding every single person, and the reality yeah. is, Major League Baseball is not doing it, and they're getting ripped apart left and right. Yeah. we've made a commitment to do it. Now we are we going to give other options, a credit, this right? Option- but you could get you could get creative and go yes. to fans and say, hey, look, we can do this. Yes. I, right, I've seen some businesses who've taken a hard line approach, and then some have said, look, you can do this, but like, it's going to really hurt our business, and we'd love your support in this, and, and right, it's how you do it. Yeah, I, I, one thing you talked about, you said a few times, speed, 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 yeah, and I think this is speed. something that a lot of companies haven't done until now. How has speed been a part of what you're doing? How do you teach speed in a company? <laughs> I don't know that you teach speed. You teach that making the decision and maybe it not being right is more important than not making the decision at all, right? <laughs> it's... It, it, it's that ventilator analogy of like, I know this is messy. It's not as, it's not as perfect as we would look. Remember, excel and improve excellent. This is not as fully thought out as we would normally like to do. But if we don't do something, it's going to be worse, right? With whatever that genre is. And, and, and so I, I, I think it's really a decision-making thing that people have to get used to. And, and, and some cost and again, realizing that like whatever I thought was true Tuesday is not true Friday. Like I just, it, back to the Stockdale, like what's the reality? Address the reality and deal with it. That, that has been, the, the people that are really struggling in this personally and professionally are just like, they're living back in January. They want it to be January. They're like, only if we, if we only had done X or Y or whatever, like that doesn't help you at all right now. I think I really is this thing that Jim Collins discovered, which is like, be positive, be optimistic about what comes next. But, but then there are just realities that you have to deal with. Ignoring those, I actually think that, you know, some of the most optimistic CEOs are going to lead their companies off the cliff because they're going to, I don't want to lay off anyone. I don't want to lay off anyone as their revenue is plummeting. And then, you know, pretty soon there's no company for any of those people to come back. Yeah, it makes sense. Now you're killing me a little bit because I'm wearing an optimism. You know, that's my word for the year. And obviously I'm that optimistic leader. You but- can have the optimism. That's the harder part to teach. I, <laughs> no, say, like, I, I said this someone last week. Like, don't, I know because she was asking me, I was like, don't, don't, you can have the optimism as long as you have the realism too. Yeah, right? You have to balance it. Yeah. And, and I say one thing that we're asking right now is, all right, what would it do to kill our business? And literally this is potentially killing our business. And I'm talking to a lot of live sporting events, live events, and they're like, well, eventually we'll be back, we'll eventually be back. And we're asking the question, what type of experience could we deliver that would be better than an actual live bananas experience? Which is yeah. very hard because everything's built on that for us. And so that's, that's the question. The, yeah. And so, and then how quickly can we get 1.0 out? Then 2.0. And, and I'm guessing that'll be a huge part of your business. You know, a lot of things that people are saying in retail is this is just, this is just speeding up the process of, of Darwinism in retail for the guys who have been dying slowly for five years. Now they're just dying faster. And it's making you diversify and looking at different opportunities. So we're seeing it as a win. We just got to get to it. And that's the key to speed. I don't know if many people have described you as a futurist, but I'm going to right now. I think you look into the future of what leadership is. You were ahead of the time. I don't think many companies can be a best place to work by being completely remote, which you have done. So I'd love to see out of this, what do you see in the future that is really going to change? And I hate saying we've talked about the new, new, new normal, but what do you see that's going to change that we should really dig in on right now? 
I wrote a piece that I, where I looked at it sort of by generation of, of what I thought was going to change. So I'm happy to kind of go through that a little bit. Um, if you want to link to it as a Forbes article, because there's a whole bunch of things that will change depending on the rubric. But so, so I think for boomers, um, you, you're going to see more coming online, actually, and more getting comfortable with some of these tools and shopping and delivery. And, and it's going to sort of really make them more uh, of, of an online presence. So maybe they wouldn't have watched a, you know, for you, they wouldn't have watched an online video thing, you know, two months ago, but now they're set up on Zoom. And they've been to a Zoom birthday party for one of their grandkids and otherwise. So it's actually a way to become come connected. So I, I think that's a big change for boomers. The much unheralded Gen X, these, as I said, Gen X has now been through three catastrophes, like beginning of career, like 10 years in, and then sort of prime of career. I, I, I think those that get through it are actually going to not want to go back to war. Uh, they're, they're either going to think about what they really want to do you know, have sort of an, they're going to be forced to change or not change. Or I think a lot are going to go into teaching uh, and coaching and otherwise saying, look, I'm, gonna, I'm retiring after I get through this battle and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll move on to the next one. So, so the millennials are interesting, right? They, they, they've really, I, I think, you know, they, they, I think they're going to flip a little bit um, towards security. So, so they've really been about you know, you know, the, the job hopping is, is unfair to put on them because I think the system changed, right? There was no long-term employment. And so they've, and they've been able in the last 10 years to move on, do something different. They've also all been sold this college thing of just go to college and all be great. And, and they have a lot of debt. I, I think you're going to see the millennials a little more focused on, on security and stability, um, which, is, which is something that they have not, not valued and, and a little more on savings. So that may change, you know, how they, how they purchase. Um, and then, and then Gen Y, uh, sorry, Gen Z, Gen Y is millennials is, uh, uh, you know, which is coming to work now. I, I think the biggest thing, I think this is going to cause the bursting of the higher ed bubble that, that we've been expecting for a while because people aren't going to take on the, they're not going to take on the debt. They're going to see all the, you know, their parents' savings have been damaged. They're, they're hearing from the millennials that, Hey, the $200,000 that I did and went and got this degree and didn't know what I want to do and had a loan, like. Like it's crushing me. Like I'm not, you know, I can't get married. I can't buy a house. So, and because of this and all the learning that's being given away for free around the world and all this stuff, I think it's just totally going to change education finally. And, and look, the Harvards and these guys, they'll always get their people, but I, I would not want to be a, a sort of, you know, uh, overpriced liberal arts school without an endowment that doesn't have a strong value proposition because I, I when that most of my students come on debt financing because I don't, I just don't think, I, yeah. I think we're finally going to reach that point. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. All right. So finally, just finish here. What's one quick win that if you're a leader right now that you could do differently to build success in this environment? One quick win is probably really improve your communication ability, both as a, as a group on a one-to-one, you're probably having to communicate a lot more. So you're going to get a lot of real f- feedback around what you can do. One of the things I've learned by mistake and other people is I, I, we've operated on a rubric of no promises, right? I, I think particularly with the speed, we've been really careful to not make any promises because things are just changing too much and you just set yourself up to let someone down, you know, for the wrong reason. So it, it's hard, right? I think that's the thing you learn. How, how do you be, how do you be inspirational, motivational while not making these promises and guarantees? Because I don't, I don't think Look, a lot of businesses, whether they get the loan or not get the loan, is going to be a huge difference. So it's really it's dangerous to say, like, I, I won't do this or I will do this. 
Yeah, you can't guarantee anything. I get asked the other day, uh, how's opening night looking? And I said, we will have an opening night. I'm just not sure when it's going to happen. <laughs> and, yeah. and I think that's... Or, or what it's the opening of. Right? What, yeah, what are we actually opening? But uh, yeah. uh, I think uh, you've become such an uh, amazing communicator, Friday forwards every week, uh, consistently communicating. And I think that's something that you've obviously done great with your team, with the values. And I appreciate you sharing uh, so much today. I think a lot of people need more wisdom with people that are actually doing it every day like you, my friend. So thanks for coming on and sharing. Thank you. Uh, happy to join anytime. And I'm... I'm I'm excited to see what you innovate to because I'm guessing even when the baseball starts back up, you will have figured out a more multimedia experience or something that you're light years ahead of your competitors. We're working on it. We're testing things every day. Thanks, man. All right. Awesome. Appreciate you. Great stuff as always, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jesse. Definitely. All right. We'll talk soon again. Take care. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to Business Done Differently, where we believe whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. And that standing out is the best way to grow your business. For more information about the guest and topics covered on this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com or shoot me a note at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.